we had this green light to to break certain models, to break certain traditions, to um, to push the brands forward. Yeah, I'm excited about Eric, man. So, I mean, obviously, social digital guru, obviously, was with Nike, you know, did amazing things with Airbnb, did amazing things with Gap, starting a, a, a clothing brand called Hill City, um, obviously an advisor for many companies. So I'm excited to talk to him about, I think, this is our first digital kind of focus on um the business you know prior during his nike days and now where he's headed towards obviously where he sees digital going but yeah oh eric going. good man how are you dude i'm doing well i'm doing well yeah yeah how's you guys family's good family's safe and healthy yeah man yeah you know uh just just trying to stay sane but you know <laughs> I, I'm grateful to. I'm grateful that we're we're healthy. I'm grateful that we're um, together, and you know, trying to trying to have as much fun as possible with my two little ones. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, Jesse and I totally understand um, where you're coming from. Obviously, we both have two kids as well, so we get it. Hey, man. First and foremost, thanks for uh, having some time with us. I know time is limited with you. You're one of the. I was just telling Jesse, you're one of the guys that. I really admire and respect, but number number two is that you just are all over the place. Everybody <laughs> wants a piece of you these days, man. So, <laughs> but um, Jesse, yeah, meet Eric. Eric, meet Jesse, and um, Eric. You know, hey, it's good to meet you, man. Good to meet you. Thanks for coming. Yeah, we're all uh, Nike alums, and um, yeah. you know we appreciate you uh, being uh, able to give us a few minutes of doing our podcast. Of course. But, you know, we always, of course, of course. I think always, it's cool, man. I think, you know, the, the whole podcast thing is, is, is super interesting. It's like having your own like radio talk show. Um, it's the new way of, it's a new way of creating. And so I'm, I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. So like we always ask everybody, you know, to kind of give us like a quick overview of like, you know, where they went to school, how they chose the, 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 the kind of journey that they chose. And, and, and then we'll kind of like, when you hit Nike, uh, let's talk about that a little bit sure. and we'll ask about leadership skills and so forth. And, you know, the amazing things you're, you've done and where the trend's going. <clears throat> All right. Where do I start? Uh, how about I start here? Uh, I barely graduated high school. Um, <laughs> straight up, straight up. I, I barely graduated high school. wasn't wasn't big on high school. wasn't big on uh, focusing. I was focusing on other things like collecting shoes, flipping them on Nike Talk. Um, that was like my thing, man. Um, and I, I made that into a hustle. Um, but you know, I still graduated high school, um, and you know, I, I ultimately went to uh, University of Hawaii first. Uh, so I went to University of Hawaii coming out of high school, um, and it was a uh, it was a fun time. It was a fun time. I wasn't there for very long um, because I, I transferred to San Francisco State, but um, I loved Hawaii. I have a lot of family out there. Um, I learned a lot about partying. I learned a lot about. Uh, <laughs> I learned a lot about. Beach. I agree because I have tons of family in Hawaii too, so I agree. Yeah, yeah. 
so I, I, I learned a lot about that. I learned a lot about how to hang out on the beach. Uh, and, and, and it was fun, man. It was fun. But, but like I said, I transferred to San Francisco state, uh, after a year at Hawaii. And the reason is because, um, unfortunately my grandma passed away. So my grandpa was, was, was at home. And so I went back, uh, to the Bay area to go to San Francisco state to, to kind of live with him for a little bit, you know, stay with him for a little bit, uh, take care of him. Um, and honestly, I learned more from my grandpa during that during those two years than I did at school. Um, and I learned a lot about life. I learned a lot about respect. I learned a lot about integrity. Uh, I learned about being an American. Uh, he's he was a third generation American. Um, so it was it was really cool to hear his stories. But uh, through him and with his pushes, uh, I graduated top of my class uh, at San Francisco State, which is different than barely graduating high school. So I, I made a shift there. Um, and then I took the LSAT and got into law school. Um, did I stay at law school? No, I did not. Uh, but one of the things that I did was I pulled myself out of you know the whole law school track, even though I, I had no idea what I was going to do after that because I had a triple major in uh, political science, criminal justice, and psychology. So like I was, I was dead set on becoming an attorney. I actually wanted to be Ari Gold for a long time. I thought he was, I was like, I was like, yo, if he, he, he's a, he's an attorney. Like I'm going to be an attorney. That's the type of attorney I want to be. Um, but, but really I was on, I was on a track to become a, a, uh, an estate and probate attorney. So wills and trusts and super exciting and sexy things there. Uh, um, but ultimately I decided to back out. I pulled myself out, uh, in 2008 and, uh, it was, it was a, it was a rough time, you know, to enter the job market. It was, it was a recession. Right. Um, and it was my first taste of like, Oh no, what have I done? And I applied to about 200 jobs, uh, in San Francisco and around the Bay area from like Pete's coffee to the mayor's office and some other places. But ultimately the only place that responded back, uh, was Facebook and Facebook at the time was, uh, a very small company, under 500 people, um, uh, pretty much in like two buildings in downtown Palo Alto. And they were hiring for, you know, an operations type role. And that operations type role was, you know, to set ads up on the website, which was Facebook was just a website at the time. I'm, this is also like dating me uh, quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so yeah, if you were on Facebook in like, 2008 2009 2010 uh, actually more 2008 2009 uh you would likely saw banner ads on the site uh which is crazy to say now um but those banner ads were set up by the team that i joined um and those ads were set up by the, by the team that i joined and so um, i loved the job i thought the job was so fun um, i got to work with brands i got to work with advertisers and i got to um be yeah, loosely associated with those brands because um, I've always had this affinity with brands because uh, I grew up in the 90s and so I watched a lot of cartoons and obviously during those cartoons you see a lot of commercials and I always thought like the commercials were sometimes the best part right uh, if it's a boring episode of I don't know X-Men uh, I look forward to the cartoons because I, I, I look forward to the commercials because I'm going to see some cool toy that I want and so I've always loved brands and so being able to work with brands in some capacity was always super interesting to me but then I started working with a brand that I've loved, you know, my entire life. And that was Nike and Nike wanted to, in a very Nike way, uh, 
Nike wanted to take things a step further. They wanted to not just advertise on Facebook, but they wanted to win Facebook. They wanted to be the best at Facebook. And at the time, uh, the, the whole push was behind one man uh, who's a good friend, and his name is Jesse Stolick. Uh, he, was, he was pushing forward this agenda that Nike needs to be the best at Facebook, um, and they will be the best. And so I saw that as an opportunity to be like, okay, there's the sales team over here. I have a unique perspective of like, I set up the ads, I report on them. Um, I can help them find success uh, just having a page because we release pages um, and maybe they can build, they can build on the platform. They could take all that beautiful creative that they have on their spots and, you know, and, and how is it on Facebook? And over the course of some years, Jesse and I struck up uh, a good friendship um, he became, uh, he became a good friend and, you know, I, him and I started talking a lot about what it would look like for, for me to come to Nike, you know, after five years of Facebook and he, he reached out one day and he, he showed me this role and the role was, um, to be the digital brand director, uh, for, uh, what, what we used to call Nike FBAT which was, of course, is Nike. It's like a, Nike loves acronyms. Um, FBAT stood for uh, football, baseball, athletic training. So NFL, MLB, NCAA, uh, and all of men's athletic training, including like CrossFit, right? Um, so it was a very, it was a very American, it was a very American category that I, you know, that I was coming into. Uh, but I was super excited. Um, and I left Facebook uh, to join Nike. And, and, you know, I look at that, I look at that jump you know, I was 20, 27, you know, going into a director role at Nike with an incredible remit um, and an incredible perspective coming from Facebook and an opportunity to help, you know, all the amazing leaders there, you know, push forward this digital agenda, including Jesse. And it ultimately changed my life. It literally changed my life um, for the better. And I owe I owe everything to Jesse for sure. Yeah, Jesse's uh, Stolic obviously now uh, CMO of Converse. Um, you know, could I ask like, when was it for you when you realized that Nike was really focused on the digital aspect of business? Like, what was that kind of change that you, you know, saw at Nike with Jesse's kind of vision and your vision for the brand? I actually saw the the shift from you know very traditional advertising to digital before I even got to Nike um, you know the work that we did with Jesse and the team um, uh, while I was at Facebook was was really innovative uh, I mean we were creating um, we were creating incredible campaigns on the Facebook platform they were building you know Nike plus on the platform fuel band on, on the platform um, and so the work that we were doing was incredibly innovative and it just led me to believe that, you know, one, they're investing a lot in, in, in the experiences category. So like they're expecting, investing a ton in experiences through digital. But then I started to see, uh, a ton of people, uh, join, uh, join the digital brand team and, and not just random people. I'm talking about heavy hitters from Starbucks, Red Bull, 
um, from the NBA, you know, from incredible agencies and uh, Burberry. And I started to think like, there's something happening at Nike. Um, and it feels like it's like that one scene in Avengers Endgame where they all, where they all come out of the woodwork, you know, they all come out of this like ether and they all like join forces and, 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 and it becomes that like pinnacle moment. And that's when I really realized that this digital future for Nike was a for real thing. And, you know, Jesse was at the helm, Musa was the head of social, um, and they had, they, they brought in a ton of my friends and, and I, I had to be a part of it. Like I, you know, there was, there was no question to me. I, I just had to be a part of it. Um, Eric, I want to just like touch on like that, the energy, right? So you're coming from this startup that has, you know, incredible energy as you're transitioning out of it. They're obviously like really making a huge statement in the social space. Um, Nike's an established company, but this approach to digital is somewhat new. And I remember that time where Jesse was building that team and it grew pretty quickly. Um, and I think he was able to harness that same kind of sort of startup mentality because it was new to the approach. Can you kind of speak to how maybe there were similarities there in culture between Facebook and Nike at all? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest similarities were it was young and it we didn't have a ton of rules, right? Like it was, it was so young and the remit for us was to innovate, like constantly, constantly innovate. And the culture that way was extremely similar to a startup, like somehow. And again, this is credit to the team. This is credit to, you know, to the culture that they built before I even got there was that you, and we, we had this green light to, to break certain models, to break certain traditions, to um, to push the brands forward. And I remember, you know, working with my VP, uh, who was Mike Kelly at the time. Um, he always was texting me like, "What can we do better? What can we innovate? You know, how how can we continue to push forward?" And then even the GM um, of the category that that I looked after, Craig Craig Cheek. He had my te- he had my phone number too, and he was texting me that. And so I had leadership um, really pushing me, you know, uh, to innovate. And I think what I saw from that is like this is not an old company. Like this is a fresh company. This is a company that that wants to break things. This is a company that that sees their place in history as evolving. And a lot of companies don't take that position, right? I think a lot of companies they make it to a certain level. And they make it to a certain market cap and they say, okay, we're done. We're good. We're good. Let's just maintain. Let's just keep the status quo and let's not shake too much stuff up. Um, but what Nike was really doing was saying, you know, we're not satisfied and we need to continue to push forward and we need to continue to innovate. And that culture was rooted in, you know, digital brand like that. The, like I felt at certain parts at certain times, like we were that, that heartbeat. And people looked at us like that and it became like a very competitive place between all the directors within digital brand of like whose idea was more innovative and who, whose, whose idea was going to, what was going to accelerate their categories faster. And I always thought at Facebook, like that was a hyper competitive place because you have all these incredibly smart people, but seeing that, seeing that again at Nike, uh, was, was exciting. 
it was exciting. And I was like, oh man, like not only am I doing this for a brand that I've loved my entire life, but also um, I get to do it for, for sport, for sports. I get to do it for, for shoes that I love, you know, and, it, and it, it just became like an intersection between what I love and what I'm good at. And, you know, a lot of those, those competitive arguments, a lot of those, you know, those, the work that we had ahead of us um, is truly, was truly once in a career. And when you, it sounded like, I mean, obviously it was like no rules almost in the sense you had a massive amount of support from a leadership perspective. Um, how important was it for you to kind of experience that leadership of support? And then like, how did you kind of deal with that kind of emulation to towards your team at Nike? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to be clear. There wasn't, it wasn't a hundred percent support. Um, obviously you, <laughs> you have, you, you have, you have some people that <clears throat> like the way things have, have been done and rightfully so. Right. I think, you know, uh, up until that point, that was like 2013, like Nike, Nike's pretty undefeated. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, I would say I had about 80% support, 85% support. Um, but that support was to me, at least the encouragement to think bigger. It was the encouragement to have a have a really feed your imagination, and I've never I've never seen that from leadership before. Um, uh, and and that's something that when I led my team at Nike, I encouraged them to to to, to break things. I encouraged them to, to look at the look at what's always been done and, and look at the formula and just say, no, we're not gonna do that anymore. Like we're gonna do something different. And that remit to do that is how you get incredible ideas. And most of those ideas that come back from our team are, are probably not good. They're probably not polished. They're probably not a part of like a 40 page deck you know, to sell you through. But um but nine times out of ten, you know, or you know, they, they don't work. But that one idea, if you keep encouraging that, you build that into the culture of your team, that one idea that does come through that is not polished, is mildly ugly, typically that idea uh, really shakes things up and, and it becomes, you know, a game-changing idea. And so um, one of those ideas that, that I felt were was such a big one was to leverage um, CS, so customer service and to use them as our eyes and ears to the consumer and ask them what they love and ask them what they want to see next and then deliver that to product. And that was an incredible idea that uh, evolved the category quite a bit because the category then became like less focus groupy and, and less, you know, all that other stuff, but became very much like a social first organization because they, we started asking questions to people who actually care about the brand that actually spend money their own money uh, with the brand. And that idea came from like a team meeting that I had where someone just shouted out like, hey, why don't, why don't we ask the people responding to the comments in the feed? And I was like, oh, yeah, let's definitely do that. And then we introduced that to the category. We introduced that to the VPs and the GM. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. And it was like, it was, it was literally like on a napkin, I, I think, or so, like the equivalent of a napkin. And I was, I, I remember bringing it around. It wasn't on a deck. It wasn't polished or anything like that. I was like, it just, it's just an idea that just seems right. And it ultimately uh, evolved the category for sure. 
That's awesome. Eric, yeah. this might be in the weeds a little bit, but I just wanted to get your perspective on it. And I think we talked about this um, recently. It's just sort of like the Nike matrix and like how it comes together. And, you know, you've got, you're in this interesting situation where you're reporting up to your VP and your GM, but you also have your digital brand marketing team and your, you know, your colleagues and your cohorts. And like, how did that really work for you guys? Because you said there was a lot of competition and the category set up, there was that sort of inner category competition. But you all ultimately are working for digital brand marketing and you guys, like how did that culture really work for, for you in that at that time? Uh, what can I say about the matrix? Um, that is a positive, that is a positive. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, it's, uh, Listen, like I've never like coming out of Facebook. Facebook's like super flat, super linear. Um, I've never seen a matrix before, and no one, no one really told me about it. It was, it was kind of like a crash course, and I was like, wait, there's like twenty different stakeholders, and then, then there's regions, and then there's product, products, and then I, I, you know, and then there's my own team, digital brand, and um, the matrix was very confusing for a twenty-seven-year-old kid, you know, and it's uh. To be quite honest with you, like I still have a hard time like trying to explain it, but I will say this: um, the competition that was on digital brand was healthy. It was healthy. Um, I like to think about it like a like a like a team of rivals, right? Like we all were focused on pushing the brand forward, um, but we also were, were very focused on you know being the best that we could be, and oftentimes you know, that pushes you harder to have a stronger idea than, um, than the next director. And ultimately, as you start to see success from one director, you iterate on their plans and then you find success and then someone else iterates on your plans and so forth. And that became like very much a, a, a cultural thing within the team to the point where like all of us were successful because we were, we were learning from each other and we were, um, we were competitive for sure, but there were learnings to be had and uh, we were evolving, you know, with, uh, with our channels and with, and, 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 and with our feeds. But at the same time, you know, we, we were, like you said, like we were serving still the category. Um, and so that push and pull, I think, uh, really brought out the best creative work um, I've, I, I've seen in my career um, outside of some other places, but, you know, I, I, I do feel like as much as I, I, as much as I am confused by the matrix, as much as I'm have strong feelings about the matrix, I will say in retrospect, you know, seven, you know, almost six years removed. Um, it definitely created a push pull of fantastic ideas that were based on competition but we're all on the same team. It's like being on a cross country team where everyone's a great runner and you're racing against each other, but you know, you can't win without your teammates because it's a team sport. Right. And you, even though you're competitive with, I don't know, Nike women or Nike running, you want to see them succeed too, because ultimately that's your success. Um, and, and I love that. I've never seen it again, you know, since I left Nike, but I will say that that push and pull between the category in between the function uh, is, 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 is one that I will say brought out the best of a lot of people for sure. That's all.
Yeah, I agree. I think we we were all thrown into the matrix. It was kind of like there wasn't a, a roadmap or um, directions of how to figure it out. It was just like you go ahead and just you're thrown into it and you just go ahead and do it, right? And I agree with you. I think everybody was super competitive by each function. And to be able to say, hey, we're all in this together um, is, is a super positive outcome and create, creative, as a, like you said. Um, would love to know how you guys handled as within your team, um, an amazing launch, let's say, that you guys did. How did you guys continue kind of that creative excitement to continue moving forward seeing the next one has to be better or the next one has to be even better than the next one? I mean, how did you guys motivate uh, your team that way? Yeah. I would say one of the, one of the most proudest moments in my career so far um, was launching uh, the Mike Trout cleat. And it was the first signature cleat that a baseball player would get since Ken Griffey Jr. So that was pretty momentous, right? And I remember thinking in my head of like, holy crap, like this is like, this is what I get to do. Like, this is what I get to, like, I get to do this for a living. Um, and I remember flying down to Anaheim uh, to go meet with the team and to go figure out the launch plans and, and, and really execute. And I remember thinking uh, in my head, all right, let's check the boxes here. Website's ready to go. It's probably the most intricate and innovative thing that I've possibly done in, in, in my career. Great. Um, social feeds ready to go. Um, are, and, and not just publishing, but I'm talking about like our responses to comments are ready to go too. And so, there was, so we were enabled that two-way conversation. So that's ready to go. Experiential, ready to go. We're on the ground, um, ready to capture content and, and, and send it to the feeds. Um, and his channels are ready to go. Oh, and wait a second, MLB is ready to go. Um, and I remember thinking in my head, like, this is a lot. This is a lot for a, for a cleat launch, but this is exactly what needs to happen. And I remember we launched it. And I remember we launched it, and it became a pinnacle moment uh, for the category. It became a pinnacle moment for the GM that he pointed to for years after I left. And I remember thinking, that after that launch, we just set precedent to be holistic, to be integrated, to be uh, to be consumer and community centric, and this should always be done like this because this is you are creating essentially like a three hundred and sixty degree plan that no matter where you turned, that trout shoe was right in front of you, and and I remember I remember talking to my team. And it wasn't like they were exhausted because the next thing after that, we had to go to the MLB All-Star game. It wasn't like they were exhausted. They were excited to add more stuff to the next launch. They were excited to see how deep we can go um, through the organization, through every distribution channel, through like they were, they were talking about out of home, you know, and, 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 and we're a digital team talking about out of home. And so um, we just set precedent, right? You set precedent with the holistic integrated nature of that and people follow along. People follow along because it's, it's exciting and they feel as if they're not siloed and they feel as if they're not in a box. And I think when you inspire people to do the best work of their careers, they think bigger, their imagination gets bigger and you, you have to encourage that. Eric, can you like speak to, I know you talked about your relationship with Jesse um, and growing that team, but I, it, I mean, I remember the groundswell around digital, you know, you'd hear these like buzzwords like 
you know, digital is oxygen and digital mentality. And so these things really started to spread and he was really laying the groundwork for that. Can you kind of speak a little bit around just his leadership and in terms of like what you took from his leadership style and brought with you on your journey post Nike? Yeah. yeah. And if, let me take a step back though. It's like, how, how crazy is it that you can pull those, those, uh, those terms um, from years ago? How crazy. <laughs> well, I remember, I remember those terms too. Cause I think that was heavily ingrained in the entire HQ. Cause I remember that was always the, the, the statement. It was digital was oxygen, oxygen, digital was oxygen. And I remember that so well. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, 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 it's crazy, right? But it's also testament to like the work that, I mean, honestly, like the work that came before, way before me. That's that's the work of Jesse. That's the work of Vic. That's the work of Shep. That's the work of, of Ez, you know? And and like, that's the work of the entire team before it became, you know, what was known as like the Digimob. And how crazy is it for me? Yeah. Like, it, it's still crazy to this day that, you know, I, I go throughout my career and I meet someone and they're like, oh, you were on that Nike team, right? Like, you're part of the Digimob. And I was like, how do you know that? Like, how do you, like, <laughs> like, like, how, like, first off, creepy. How do you know that? But second, wow, that's crazy that, like, we, we, we branded ourselves so strong that years after I leave Nike, like, that brand stays with you. And it's a testament to Jesse's leadership for sure, but also his vision. Like, his vision was way bigger than than just digital brand and i always appreciated that to him uh i I always appreciated that um of him is that his his vision was was about a complete transformation but also it's not about the strategy and he he told me this a long time ago when i was creating my strategy is that and this is a testament to his vision again it's like he, he told me uh there's no such thing as a digital strategy there's just a strategy in a digital world and that's the world we live in and I was like, boy, I'm going to write that down and take that with me everywhere I go now. Um, and, and I did. Um, but, but again, like his, his, his leadership was very vision first. And the one thing that I always appreciated about him and the reason why I wanted to work so hard for him and I wanted to succeed so, so, you know, so much for, for the team was, was because he, he cared more about my life than he did about the work. Um, and he made it very personal and he made it about family. And he would always ask about my wife who lived in San Francisco while I lived in Portland and I was going back and forth. And he always asked, he always asked like, how, you know, how's your wife? Like, how's she doing? Like, how are you, how are you doing? How are you adjusting to Portland? And, you know that that he didn't need to do that at all. He definitely didn't need to do that, but but he, but he did, and that meant the world to me, right? And so like he he was a very empathetic and personal leader, and one that you know had a very clear vision of where he wanted to take um, not just the highest grossing categories, but all categories, the entire brand, and it shows it shows his impact by you know after he was at you know, in digital brand, he went to DTC, and then, you know, he, it's, his impact everywhere he's gone um, is pretty, le- is, you know, to be honest, it's pretty legendary. And so, you know, as, as the CMO of, of, of Converse, you know, he's, I, I think he's, he's shaking a lot of things up 
and rightfully so. And it's been amazing to see, but, but also I'm not surprised. Like I'm not surprised. Like when I hear about what he's doing since, you know, since I left Nike, none of, nothing really surprises me anymore because I, it's just, I, I expect him to change things. I expect him to innovate. And so, um, you know, it's, 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 it's amazing to, to see a great friend, a great manager, a great leader, you know, succeed in that fashion, you know, throughout, throughout his career. That's awesome. Like I have a, a off topic question in regards to, um, marketing. Like we know that we silo marketing as like traditional marketing to digital marketing to social marketing. Would you say that now today, the way like Nike or uh, other bigger brands that are focused on marketing, it's just marketing, but it's just now focused on tech? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have this slide in majority of my strategies since I left Nike. To be honest with you, every place I've ever gone, um, whether it be Airbnb, Snapchat, yeah, Bing, you know, like they've always asked like, oh, oh what's the Nike strategy, man? Uh, and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is what you want. Huh? Okay, well, this is what you paid for. Um, so, uh, you know, the number one thing I show is this one slide, right? And it's not like anything crazy. It's not like anything, um, it's not like anything groundbreaking, but Nike is a truly community first brand. It's a truly community driven brand, meaning um, wherever the community is, Nike is. And listen, a traditional company would say, okay, we're going to launch this pair of shoes um, and we're going to have a TV spot and then we're going to do some print and some out of home and then, yeah, and then we'll do some social, right? Um, what Nike understands is that, again, we are in a digital world and the most impactful thing is, you know what, instead of, you know, instead of creating all these things and creating all these distribution points, um, LeBron's just going to wear the shoe. And he's going to wear it in tonight's game against the Lakers. And you know what? Someone's probably going to pick it up. Someone's probably going to post it on social. And that's going to have a lot of legs. And that's going to distribute. And that's going to go crazy. And it's going. And we're going to keep an eye on that. And then, and then we'll drop the spot. And then, and then we'll drop the out of home. And then, you know, we'll do all these different things. What that is, is understanding the behaviors of a community. It's understanding the behaviors of a consumer and knowing that it's not digital, knowing that it's not physical, knowing that it's not experiential, but just knowing that their lives cross through every single plane. It's, it's knowing that their lives cross through all these boundaries that traditional companies, traditional marketing companies would silo off, right? But Nike, um, but the way Nike has evolved is they've understood the way to capture the community's heart and imagination and knowing that the power is actually not about Nike telling you, it's about Nike showing you, and then you distribute the assets yourself. And so I, I think that, you know, when I do show that, everyone's like, whoa, groundbreaking. And I was like, but is it though? Like, is it though? Like, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's just it, you kind of have to just understand that you just have to look inward and just understand. If you, could, if you know your, your, your community well enough, you can make it happen. You can make it happen easy. Um, but oftentimes, oftentimes brands, um, brands believe that they, that, that they know better and that they will tell the, the consumer what to buy and what to wear and what to show them, right? 
Nike gives up a lot of that freedom, right? But for the purpose of, but for the purpose of telling the story. And I think it's, the story is more powerful coming from you than it is from, from Nike. And Nike's done a great job, like really showcasing that over the years. Yeah, perfectly said, man, exactly. It's, it's one of those things where I'm just trying to figure out, like, you know, as, as there's consulting opportunities, I tell them almost very to TT the same thing. They're like, really? I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's funny, right? Like everybody wants the Nike strategy and I'm like, okay, you want it? Like, let me tell you, let, like, let me walk you through, you know, what's going to happen even before, before it happens. Right. Like, um, and, and what's great about it is like Nike's everywhere. And so, you know, as I'm watching like the NBA finals in the bubble, like I'm telling my team, like this is like I'm telling my team right now, like this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna show you this. This is here, here's where you're gonna see the shoes. Here's where the shoes are gonna be picked up. Here are the people who are gonna write about the shoes. And then Nike's gonna drop a spot, but it's likely one of five spots that they created for specific scenarios. And that's the beauty of it. Um, and those things unfold, and everyone's like, "Whoa, genius!" And I was like, "Is it is it genius, or is it just like really just learning?" And understanding your your community but also just learning too like the more you plan the more you're seen as a genius and, and really it's about planning and i think that's what nike really taught me really well is like plan for every scenario um and when you plan for every scenario you become culturally relevant and you become culturally resonant and you become and operate at the speed of conversation and i think that is that is probably the most special thing um, that I take with me all over. That's awesome. So Eric, I mean, just maybe that's a good point to sort of like talk about like the move from Nike and, and how that came about and what precipitated that. Yeah. I mean, as I, as I mentioned before, um, my wife lived in San Francisco and I was, I had an apartment in, in Portland, um, shout out Northwest district. Um, great place to live. Great place to live, man. Um, <laughs> I was literally right across, like right around the block from like Salt and Straw and uh, and Bamboo Sushi. I think Musa lived like a floor above me. Uh, um, uh, and you know what? Like, I it got to the point where I was on a plane very often, trying to, trying to see my wife, and she was on a plane very often, trying to see me, and that's taxing. It's taxing on the heart. It's very taxing on the heart. And when you're trying to, to do great creative work and, but you're still like kind of heartbroken because you know, your other half is not with you. Um, it's heartbreaking. Right. And it got to the breaking point where I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and she was at Twitter. Like, so she was at Twitter and you know she wasn't going to leave just because she loved her job. I love my job too, but it, it got to the point where I was like, you know, something's got to change. And ultimately we made the decision um, that I was going to leave Nike. And that decision was a very tough one. And that one broke my heart. Um, but, you know, I got to be back with my wife again. So I left Nike to, uh, to join Snapchat in which we both moved to LA, um, specifically Santa Monica. So she worked for Twitter LA and I worked for Snapchat, which was right down the street. Yeah, I think uh, your journey, obviously, there's so many great opportunities that you've done and been able to do and, you know, um, would love to, you know, we always ask our, our guests, like, if you could give these up and comers some advice in trying to get into 
um, the Nikes or the Adidas or the Twitters or Snapchats or Airbnb, so forth. Like, what kind of advice could you give these kids to kind of understand, like, hey, this is my story is different, but you know, here are the steps that I could suggest that you might be able to, you know, get your foot into the door. Yeah, well, to be honest with you, it's like it's so simple. It's so simple. It's the number one thing that got me into any job outside of the original job that I told you about where I applied to like 200 applications um, is network. It's friends. And the more people you know, the more people you become friends with, the more they're willing to, the more you have people willing to help you. And like I told you, um, I became friends with Jesse and Jesse saw, luckily for me, Jesse saw something in me and you know, he, he brought me on board to Nike. Obviously I had to interview and apply and all, and all that stuff, but I, he, he helped me get my foot in the door. Um, when I, when I went to Snapchat, I knew, I knew a lot of the leadership team. And so they, they helped me get my foot in the door. And again, throughout my career, it's always been about my network. And it's always been about the people I meet, the people that inspire me and the, the connection I have with them. And managing the network that I have. Um, a really good friend of mine, Chris Redlitz, uh, who's, a, who's a venture capitalist, he also runs um, a nonprofit called The Last Mile. He once told me, you should never be the person that just has a network and then you show up when you need something. You should always be the person that you know, you, you land, your plane lands and, and you text a bunch of people like, hey, let's get a drink or hey, let's get breakfast, all that stuff. Should always be nurturing your network and, and nurturing the relationships that you have there. Because again, you don't want to be that person that, that shows up in the middle of the night that's like, hey, I need help. Like, please help me. And, <laughs> you know, like, and there's a lot of people like that. Trust me, there's a lot of people. Uh, I, 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 I see it all the time. Um, and that last, that like stuck with me, man. Like, that stuck with me because I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, and I never really saw it as a network, I just saw it like as, as like a group of friends, right? And when, you, when your perspective is like that, you should have as many friends as you, as, as you possibly can get. And so I always tell, I always tell kids uh, and undergrads when I lecture is it's, it's always about relationships. I promise you, I promise you that. Um, again, it's like, there's something to be said about the degree you get to help you get in the door, but, but everybody's from an Ivy league. Everybody's from a top 10 school. You know, once you get into a specific place, what's going to propel you forward is the relationships that you build throughout your career. Either they're going to open doors for opportunities, they're going to give you mentorship so you get skills and learnings that you may not have gotten, um, or they're going to, or they're going to help you out when you need it. And a degree can't get you that. Um, work experience can't really get you that. It's all about relationships. And so manage your relationships, build relationships, and if you treat them like friendships, um, you cannot go wrong. That I promise you. I love that, and um, that's why I appreciate our relationship and you giving us time yeah, today. Yeah. And this was great, man. We really do appreciate it. And um, man, we, if we if we could, we'd probably with every guest be longer than an hour if we could. But we know you're busy, and uh, we're super appreciative. And um, you know, we're, we're we're grateful. So thank you. Of course, thanks thanks for having me on. Um, and, and yeah, keep keep building, fellas. Keep building. This is cool. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. All right, sounds good. Take care. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. All right. Bye.